0: Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Reflections on the horrific attack against a Muslim family in London, Ontario, a conversation with Raheel Raza, and more coming up on The Andrew Lawton Show. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is Thursday, June 10th, 2021. And I thank you so much for tuning into the show here. I want to begin by talking about something that happened not that far from where I live in my city, just a few kilometers away, which has shaken not just the city, but also the country and the world. And that is the horrific attack that took place on a Muslim family earlier this week, an attack that claimed four lives and has left a nine-year-old boy without his sister, without his parents, and without his grandmother recovering from severe injuries in hospital. The murder, which is what we can very easily call it, of the Afzell family, is horrific, and does not represent the Canada that I want, and does not represent the Canada that I know. And I had some people email me earlier this week wondering why I didn't talk about this on the previous show. Uh, The simple reality is that I recorded my show as a lot of the news was still coming out and I knew that anything I said by the time the show had been released would be outdated. It wasn't for lack of concern, quite the contrary. It was for a desire to ensure that I knew what I was talking about when I opened my mouth and spoke up about this as I do with any other issue, as I certainly try to do with any other issue. What police have said is that this was intentional and that this was an attack that targeted this family specifically for their faith. Police have charged the accused killer with four counts of murder and one count of attempted murder. They said very early on, they believe that his motivation was specifically targeted towards the family's islamic faith now i have no reason to doubt the london police they are historically quite tight lipped on things which means if they were able to say that with confidence quite early on it would be uh, something that they were pretty sure of and I i think that's something that needs to be taken into consideration And all of us across the country, across the world, should look at this and say this was a horrific act of evil. I hope the perpetrator of it never sees the light of day. I know that he was arrested and charged, so there will be an opportunity for him to speak up about whatever he was thinking and trying to do. And yes, you know, he'll get his day in court. But the reality is this was an act of evil. And it's become, however, a political episode which is so tremendously lamentable. And it didn't take long. There was a vigil on Tuesday night in London at the London Muslim Mosque just down the street from where this attack happened. And when the vigil was announced very quickly, all of the politicians in Canada were soon to announce their dissent on London from Justin Trudeau to Aaron O'Toole, Jagmeet Singh, even Yves-Francois Blanchet, Doug Ford, Andrea Horvath, Stephen Del Duca, all of these names of political leaders federally and provincially, city, everyone, everyone was there. And to show support for a family and for a community is important. But a lot of them didn't do that. And that was regrettable. In fact, a lot of the speakers didn't even mention the family. They brought up political fights and political issues. And I grappled with this as I watched it. Because by responding to this, by responding to their politicization of it, I have to engage in a political discussion that I do not want to have. Because I wanted to be able to, as a Londoner, grieve with the community. I wanted to be able to stand up for this beautiful family. Yumna, 15. Medea, 44. Talat, 74. Salman, 46. And the nine-year-old Fayez in hospital. A family, 80% of which, was wiped out because of one horrific act. Unjustified, undeserved, just awful. So I want to be able to look at this loss and not have to engage in a political debate, which was shamefully where this loss was taken by a number of activists who are insistent on making changes to the political system, changes to free speech, changes to any number of areas of Canadian policy throughout the year, that seem to jump onto this issue as being their avenue to advance some change on this. And I want to play a few clips from the vigil that took place in London, where a few speakers went political without question. One of them was Nawaz Tahir, a London lawyer. I've met him. He's a a very decent man. He's a very smart man. He runs a local anti-Islamophobia group in London. He didn't mention the family at all in his remarks. He instead spoke about freedom of expression and how freedom of expression doesn't matter in Canada when a family like the Afzal family winds up dead. And to
1: those who want to hold the Constitution... To those who want to hide behind freedom of expression, I ask you a simple question. What is the point of freedom of expression if a Canadian family does not have the freedom to walk on a sidewalk in this country without getting murdered? So I say, I say to all of our political leaders that are here today, we are in a war against hate, and that war requires nonpartisanship.
0: It requires cooperation. It requires united leadership and action. People grieve in different ways. People get angry. I get it. But the reality is taking aim at free speech because of some unspeakable horror does not do anything to prevent evil does not do anything to prevent the future occurrences which we hope do not exist of evil. No connection whatsoever. Yes, you have a right to life. You also have a right to freedom of speech. These are not mutually exclusive. Free speech did not kill the Afzal family. And it's disingenuous and, I'll be honest, disgusting to say it did. But this is where the debate has gone. A very similar comment from another speaker who said we need to criminalize islamophobia the muslim community and mac is
1: demanding from our political leadership that we take steps towards addressing the root causes of islamophobia including criminalizing islamophobia we ask we, we ask and demand from our governments that they take steps towards eradicating systemic Islamophobia. There is no reason why a Muslim, any man or woman in fact, should be suspected of being an extremist because of their faith. There is no reason why a Muslim charity, or a Muslim organization becomes suspected of terrorism because of the religion it upholds,
0: enough is enough. I don't know what it is he's actually proposing, but again, I can say free speech did not claim this family's lives. But whether it was these two speakers or even NDP leader Jagmeet Singh who got into it as well, and well, he did express a great deal of solidarity with the community, with the family, he could not resist the urge to veer into politics.
1: And what we need to do now is real action.
0: After this act,
1: how many more lives have to be taken before we act? How many more Muslim brothers and sisters have to lose their lives before real change is put in place? We need real action. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I put three things before you one never again should any political leader ever use Islamophobia for political gain that can never happen again (laughs) never ever there is no space for that let us all agree secondly the real and urgent threat to Canadians lives the real and urgent threat is coming from hate it's coming from extremist right-wing ideology it's coming from white supremacy so let's put resources towards the real and urgent threat against canadians and and finally i know my time is up i'll just wrap up with this last point we need to tackle online hate in each case of hate against Muslims. In each case where we saw violence against Muslims in the Quebec shooting, in the killing of a brother in Toronto, in the violence against Muslim women in Edmonton, we know that this is happening from radicalization happening online. So we have to be serious about fighting hate online so that hate has no space to radicalize future violent actions.
0: Frankly, the volume of politicians, not just in attendance but with speaking slots, probably didn't help, and the organizers wanted to give everyone a chance to speak, from Justin Trudeau to Aaron O'Toole, Jagmeet Singh, but the reality is, it gets a little excessive, and it makes their really come across as an overwhelmingly political tone. When you have every federal and provincial opposition leader and different city councillors that are all speaking, all effectively, you'd hope, saying the same thing. And I I will say, Justin Trudeau was uh, the one who gave a, a very valuable contribution when he spoke about the family, the way the family was viewed and valued by the community. Aaron O'Toole, as well, spoke about the family. He added something in the sense of making sure that the focus was on this family who was being mourned. There were a few criticisms I saw on Twitter, even from uh, Muslims in London, saying that the cheering and the hooting and the hollering was a little bit much for something that was supposed to be a vigilant, and I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And it actually became somewhat of an applause line whenever someone called it a terrorist attack as Trudeau and Darren O'Toole and Doug Ford and all of these leaders have. But whenever anyone called it a a terrorist attack, they were almost cheered for it. And it looked in many ways like a rally. And it's not to say that everyone needed to be sobbing. It's not to say that it needed to be a solemn occasion. People need to grieve the way it is comfortable for them to do so. But it was very clear that there were people there that wanted to take this tragedy and turn it into something that was a political weapon. And for a lot of people, the personal is the political. I get it. I get that wholeheartedly. But it did not sit well with me, nor with a lot of other people. If I I look at a lot of the uh, comments that were written about the vigil as it was going on online. And to turn this into something takes away from what needs to be front and center, which is understanding that evil happens, trying to do whatever you can possible to prevent someone from launching an attack of this nature on anyone. And yes, to speak out. To speak out if you see attitudes, views, and values that do not have a place in Canadian society. But the reality is thousands of people flocked to the streets because they wanted to show their support. And for all of those people saying that that does not speak for London, that that does not speak for Canada, but that the one guy in a truck does, are missing significantly on what it is that this country is. The number of people, I've I've seen this online in the last few days, who are looking at this and kind of extrapolating it as though he speaks for a broader constituency that is dominant in Canada is simply not true. And that this is being woven into an existing narrative that a lot of activists have tried to put forward about Canada is very disingenuous and and takes away from what needs to be the focal point, which is how do we support this nine-year-old who will never have the life that he was supposed to have? How do we support the cousins and aunts and uncles of this family who have this significant void in their life? And how do we support a Muslim community in London, in Canada, that feels it is under threat, that feels it is under attack? And how do you resist these political overtures without perpetuating this belief that such criticisms are Islamophobic, which was an increasing component of a lot of these remarks. I don't have the answers to all of these questions. In fact, I don't have the answers to any of them at this point. But there are things that need to be said, things that need to be asked. I want to delve into this in a bit more depth with Raheel Raza. She is the president of the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow and joins me now. Raheel, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you or Andrew it's my pleasure.
0: Now this was obviously a, a horrific story. We've seen people uh, around the country, uh, around the world that have rallied in support of this family as a, a Muslim woman, a, a Pakistani Canadian. How did you feel when you heard about this?
2: It's uh, devastating. So very tragic. Uh, but Andrew not just as a Muslim, but as a human being, the fact that four members of a family were killed in this attack and the you know the nine-year-old boy was seriously injured, Uh, you know, it just, it breaks my heart. My grandson is about the same age. And I think about this young boy's future. And I wonder, you know, will he grow up just distrusting people? Will he grow up thinking that there's evil and uh, violence around him? Uh, The good news is that he is out of danger. And I believe, I, I read that his aunt and uncle are going to adopt him. Uh, which of course is is a good thing, but you know it's heartrending, it's heartbreaking. As a mother, as a grandmother, I can't stop thinking about the family and what the extended family must be going through.
0: Indeed. And, you know, everyone who knows this family said they were tremendous people, very integrated in the, their Muslim community and also in the London community where I live. And and when so many people rallied behind and have donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to support the boys' future, not that any amount of money can undo it, but there's been a, a level of support for this family. And when the yeah. community had a, a vigil uh, this week, I, I was hoping that there would be just a, a moment to respect and honor this loss and i was very unsettled at what seemed to be a very quick politicization of what you right, rightfully characterize as being a tragedy and as being an act of evil
2: yes so this is where it is so troubling and so disturbing because the aftermath of the tragedy when things are supposed to be settling down is even you know tragic and 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 sort of so dismal in so many ways because You know, politicians are already milking it to the fullest and community leaders. They hold all the aces now. And nothing can be said because if anyone says anything, they're going to be slapped with, you know, a racism label. And, uh, you know, it it brings me back to uh, M103. You know, when Motion 103 was first introduced, I had spoken in Parliament against it saying, and I'd written an op-ed saying that it will divide Canadians. And this is exactly what I see happening, that, you know, it's only going to create a rift. And there are people, community leaders, who are just promoting their own agendas. Um, You know, I read that at the vigil, uh, one of the leaders, Muslim leaders of the community, connected what happened in Israel and Gaza to what has happened in London, Ontario. I mean, that is so, so unacceptable. That is so horrific. And then I uh, heard on Hakikat TV from Pakistan where there was a whole news item about this tragedy. And, you know, I am originally from Pakistan, so I understand the language. And there was a whole news item about the London tragedy in which they said that this is a Jewish conspiracy and it's going to happen all around the world. That was bad enough, but there are people here, community leaders, who are retweeting so this is something that has gone out into the public. I mean what does this make Canadians feel? You know. Yes
0: and it, and it turns it turns People into political cudgels and, and political weapons, and and to your point about M one hundred and three, I've had directed at me because I spoke out against M one hundred and three, as did you, as did countless of our colleagues, and I've I've had people uh, put the blame at those who uh, spoke out against M one hundred and three, even conservative politicians who spoke up this week in a very candid and a very I'd say moving way were said, well, your thoughts don't matter because you voted against M103. And I'm sorry to be so crass, M103 passed, and this still happened. So the idea that that motion prevents hatred, as police have said was at the root of this, is simply not true. But it is used for political division. You're right.
2: Yes. I mean, this tragedy that happened was an immense tragedy. But the fact that it is being politicized, And the fact that there are people who are using it to promote their own agendas and everyone is finding some way to promote their agenda is absolutely unacceptable. In this country, this is a free country. People should be allowed, uh, you know, to express their opinions and and criticize. You know, I've always said this. So M103 has not stopped any hate. Hate is a learned behavior, I think. What has happened with this tragedy is that it's given, first of all, it's shocked Canadians that it's happened in our country. And secondly, I think it is time to reflect and and see where we've come and what do we need need to do about the hate? Because obviously it's been taught. So we need to go to the root cause of where the hate is being taught. There need to be educational programs. I mean, the prime minister very uh, confidently says that, you know, there is systemic racism in Canada and, of course, the community leaders grab this as an opportunity to, to, to milk, milk the issue. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are going to be now laws clamping down on free speech and censorship when that is not the solution, but part of the problem. When you stifle free speech in a free country, it creates problems you know, free speech is important. Yes, of course, we have to speak out against xenophobia and bigotry. And, you know, there've been attacks on Asians in BC and the LGBT community is constantly under attack. And of course, you know, these have to be addressed. Uh, This is not to say that there is no racism. Of course there is, but we have to directly address that. But to stifle free speech and to have censorship and to have laws that don't allow people to critique something that is terribly wrong, Is even worse because that causes problems.
0: It does and at this vigil one uh, individual spoke up and and said uh, one of the official speakers and said we need to uh, his words were criminalize Islamophobia. Another who's actually a lawyer said you you can't hide behind the Constitution and freedom of expression doesn't matter if a family doesn't have the right to walk down the street but I'm very uncomfortable with that dichotomy that safety and community are exclusive of freedom of expression and vice versa. But when that's the narrative that's being put forward, how do you break through? And how do you say, yes, I want to condemn bigotry and condemn hatred, but no, free speech abridgments and infringements are not the way to do that?
2: That's exactly what we have to say. Andrew, you know that I come from Pakistan. I've seen myself what happens when free speech is stifled, when freedom of expression is stifled. And once it is done, you can never go back to being the same again. And I don't want to see this happening in Canada. You know, I am quite open to the idea that someone wants to criticize me, wants to criticize my faith. That is okay. Everyone has a right to do that. But this stifling of free speech is going to create more problems. I am fearful of what the aftermath of this tragedy is going to be in terms of misuse of the situation, in terms of people... Ah uh, politicizing it instead of just having compassion all that family needs right now is compassion. they don't need it to be politicized but of course it is being We have elections coming up let's not forget so every poli- poli- every politician has a vested interest in uh, you know promoting their agenda to get votes but that's not the way I feel this should happen. There has to be a human element. There has to be a sensible, reasonable, logical element that says exactly as you said, that you know we must speak out against any kind of racism, xenophobia, bigotry, but we should have the free speech available to us. I mean, this is what immigrants like me came to Canada for. And it's very sad to see it go down the deep, dark hole.
0: Well, that's a, a tremendously important point, and, and I do not at all want to put uh, thoughts and, and words uh, and attribute them to the Afsell family, who I, I never met, but a lot of people who have come to this country have come here because they value what it is that Canada is, and, and that is not just a, a country that has legal protections for free speech, but also a country that's, that's by and large tolerant, and, and I get very uncomfortable when events that are incredibly rare are used to, uh, in a way that extrapolates them to speak for Canada. And that's also been what's happened, uh, even at a local level in my community. People have said that, oh, well, no surprise, this happened in London. It's Well, the fact that this event is so significant is proof that it's rare and proof that it doesn't speak for this country.
2: Of course, and it doesn't speak for all Canadians. I find it very troubling when, uh, you know, all Canadians are tarred with the same brush of racism, that there is systemic racism. Don't, no, there's not. I've lived here, you know, for 30 years. My children have grown up here. And one anchor even asked me, you know, are you afraid to walk the street? And I said, you must be joking. Uh, You know, this is so naive and illogical to think that all Canadians are racist. There are bad, evil elements in every society. You know, I know as a Muslim that I don't like everyone to tar the terrorist brush to all Muslims. I mean, we are very conscious of that. So we don't do that. We shouldn't be doing this. This is not all Canadians. In fact, if anything, Canadians have shown how compassionate they are, regardless of ethnicity, religion, caste, creed, color. They have come together. They have shown their solidarity. They have shown their compassion. I have received personally so many emails from people who I haven't seen for 20 years Just saying, we are sorry that this happened in your community. And, you know, I come back to saying that, yes, this has happened and it's terrible. It's a human tragedy. Uh, You know, this is not because it is for happened to just people in my faith. I would do the same for anyone in Canada if this happened. And so we must remember to come together as one community, as one people without divisiveness. And I wish our politicians would stop dividing us, us and them. That's not what it's about. It's all of us together in this. And we have to fight the hate.
0: Very well said. And and I think incredible words to end on. Raheel Raza, President of the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow. Raheel, thank you so much for your your insight and and your kindness on this. I know you've always been a a tremendous advocate for your community and and for the country. And I I think we're very grateful to have your voice on on this and, and in general. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Andrew. Have a great day.
0: That was Raheel Raza. Always a pleasure to speak with her. She has such a a tremendous ability to cut through a a lot of the unhealthy parts of discussions and and get to the meat of them and get to the truth of them. And I I meant what I said. We are all the better off having her voice on these and other issues. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of The Andrew Lawton Show up next. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. We've been talking a lot about the tearing down of statues, the ripping down of names from myriad buildings, from schools to public edifices of a variety of types. And now we have, of course, what's been shaping up to be one of the battlegrounds for this, which is Ryerson University. Not only did a statue of the university's namesake, Egerton Ryerson, come down last week, but there are even, as we discussed in a previous show, pushes to change the university's name itself. Not just the name of the school newspapers, but basically to make it as though this guy never had anything to do with this school. Well, this didn't sit well with the Ryerson Conservative Club, which you may think is a campus club of the federal or provincial conservative parties. And you would have been right up until a certain point. And we'll talk about why that is now. But I want to welcome to the show Harrison Faulkner, who is the president of the Ryerson Conservatives. Harrison, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Thank
3: you very much for having me, Andrew.
0: So the Ryerson Conservatives, I want to put this up here, put out a a fantastic statement about this, uh, basically saying, give us the statue. So the university might not want it. The activists might not want it. You're saying give it to us. And you've said here that the conservative club at Ryerson has been really on the front lines of, of trying to defend Egerton Ryerson's name and reputation. This isn't normally what a political club on campus would do, but you've had to fill that void, it sounds like. Yeah,
3: you're exactly right. Um, for us, we just like to think of ourselves as regular university students. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't expect that the responsibility to defend our history, um, to defend the facts of this country, um, we weren't expecting that to fall on our shoulders, um, and we were expecting that the university, um, and the provincial government, and any stakeholders involved in the process that carry a little bit more influence than uh, than us would step in. Would 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 basically say these people are wrong. These this mob is not is not uh, historically accurate at all, and unfortunately, um, that has not been the case. I think a lot of people, politicians, especially on the conservative side, are afraid to engage in this particular battle because of what happened in Kamloops and because of the the political the the political danger, um, the perceived danger. Um, that could come for, from from someone who is just trying to defend um, a a good man, someone who had great intentions, who is not what the left are portraying him to be, and really that 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 hasn't happened. Um, but we're 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 the conservative club at Ryerson, and part of that is to conserve the identity of our university, to advance conservatism on our campus, and we really wouldn't be much of a conservative club at Ryerson if we weren't going to defend Egerton, if we weren't going to stand up to the the criminal behavior that took place on Sunday. Um so that's really where where we're at right now with this and yeah as you mentioned we we have been a little left behind uh, left to fight this battle on our own.
0: I want to get to how you have been treated within the conservative apparatus in a moment, but I want to drill down first into a a comment you made about defending a good man. So you're not taking the position that, yeah, you know what, he might have done some things that weren't great, but it was the time, it was the context. You're saying that what he stands accused of, which is being a a so-called architect of the residential schools that have become, I think, very rightfully criticized in history, you're saying that that really doesn't describe him all that accurately.
3: Well, of course, and before I get into it, um, our defense of Egerton-Ryerson has, of course, by the left, been taken as some sort of apology for the residential school system, and that's just not the case. Um, What we are trying to say is that Egerton-Ryerson, one, is not responsible for what happened in Kamloops and at that particular residential school. And we're also saying this line that has been parroted around by mainstream press, by left-wing politicians in this country, the architect of residential schools. That's just not the case. Egerton Ryerson is being accused as, as the architect or the mastermind of the residential school system because of a private letter he wrote to George Varden, who was the, I believe, the superintendent of education at the time. And Egerton Ryerson laid out what his beliefs were in the sense that he believed at the time indigenous children should learn agriculture so that they can use the land that they have to make a good living off of it. He never advocated for forced child separation. He never advocated to for any of the abuses that have since come out about the residential school system. And the Ryerson Conservatives believe that Egerton Ryerson not only has been chosen as the fall guy for the residential school system in today's era, we believe that the private letter Egerton Ryerson wrote to George Varden was used by people who knew they were doing something wrong in the in the late 1800s and used Egerton Ryerson a man who was about to die as the person as the architect of this system because they knew what they were doing was wrong and if you do any research at all about Egerton you will know that that is the case that Egerton Ryerson was an abolitionist he fought for education for black Canadians before anyone was even thinking about that he was well ahead of his time and 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 further, he was a he was a lifelong friend of the Mississauga of the Credit chief, and he learned Ojibwe so that he could understand these people better. And, and that is something that, understandably so, for the left is never brought up in their criticisms of, of Egerton. But it would be it would be fair for for anyone else other than just the Ryerson conservatives to put this uh, put this information into the into the public conversation to help us in this in this basically this battle against historical illiteracy.
0: And you've had to, of course, battle against the school and against the mainstream media narrative on this. You've also found yourself in a bit of a battle with the party that your club historically has been aligned with, or parties rather, I should say, the federal conservatives and the provincial conservatives. And I I just want to give people a bit of context here, because last year, uh, this school year, but last year, Aaron O'Toole had famously come and done a a little bit of a Zoom chat with your club, and he, he talked in a very frank manner about cancel culture and standing up for historic figures and then the mainstream media caught wind of this and and you know Aaron O'Toole did as you've pointed out in your statement what so many conservative politicians do which is backtrack apologize and not really win the support of of any of the critics in the process but where did things go off the rails after that point uh, between you and and Aaron O'Toole and and also for that matter uh, the Ontario PCs and Doug Ford.
3: Well, well. first of all, the, uh, the Ryerson Conservatives have been around for, for many years and our affiliation with both parties has been really, really strong. And at the end of the day, although we may disagree with the party, our members are members of both, both of these parties. When we grow our club, we are growing the membership of both the parties. And so there is an understanding there and a respect there. Um, but as you mentioned, um, Aaron O'Toole did speak to our club. We had a fantastic conversation with him in September. And we asked him about what we can do as Ryerson conservatives to defend Egerton Ryerson's legacy and to push back against really these radicals and these criminals. Um, And he gave us a great answer, one that we wanted to publicize to to show that we have the support and the backing of of our leaders. Um, And of course, the press, after a few months, caught wind of this video and then tried to make Erin O'Toole out to be this this apologist for residential schools. And, you know, under the heat of the moment, I can understand why someone would want to apologize. But if you do, as, as we've said before, if you do any research into Egerton Ryerson, there's nothing to apologize for, for what Aaron O'Toole said. Egerton Ryerson is not deserving of this level of criticism and, and this level of, of vitriol. What, what we take issue with um, is that when we do this, when we make these efforts as a conservative club, trying to conserve the identity of not just our university but our country uh, and our province we expect that the elected conservatives will also be interested in conserving this country this province and our university and unfortunately the 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 tough part is is that ndp politicians liberal politicians they have engaged in this debate they have entered this conversation uh, and we have really become the only voice, the only organization that is defending Ayrton Ryerson. Our, our main issue is that we would like some support. We would have liked to to have the backing of of the premier, of the leader of the opposition, and to really feel that that exists. And, and unfortunately, when it comes to this particular moment, um, we've been left to fight this on our own.
0: That's, I think, a very important point. And a lot of people would say for the Conservative Party, this isn't the fight they need to be taking up. This isn't the, the fight that is worth fighting uh, in an election season, potentially, and all of that. And the problem with that is that if you cede the ground on these issues that are seemingly insignificant, eventually you get to the point where no one is left standing. And that's increasingly where we're at now. And And to bring it back to the statue of Egerton Ryerson, there was a time not even that long ago where the school would be criticizing the vandalism of its property rather than saying, okay, we're not going to put it back up. We'll, we'll, so, so you're endorsing what the vandals have done. And, and you are right. It's becoming a very lonely battle.
3: Yes, you're exactly right. And this, this conversation wouldn't be right if we didn't um, accurately call out the university's role in this uh, really embarrassing moment.
0: But but in fairness, we expect that from universities now. You're talking about the conservative parties or ostensibly conservative parties being absent from this fight too.
3: Yes, and and, and Ryerson University, known for its uh, its its left wing stances on public issues, we knew that this would be the case. But the the difficulty with what happened on Sunday, the day that the day that these criminals took down the Egerton Ryerson statue that that stood for 132 years, I, I should add, um, is that the Toronto police knew that this was going to happen ahead of time. It was well publicized. We knew that this was going to happen, or we didn't know that the statue was going to come down, but that there was going to be a, a large demonstration. The police knew it. They actually tweeted that they would not tolerate vandalism or violence at the statue. And I personally went down to the statue when I heard of the news that Egerton, uh, the Egerton-Ryerson statue had fallen. I went down there in my role as president of the Ryerson Conservatives and really the the head of the only group in this fight, to see it from my own eyes, to really take in the gravity of this, and I couldn't find a single police officer anywhere on campus. In fact, I looked around where the Ryerson statue was, and I couldn't find a any Ryerson security either. The the security guards that uh, all of our members pay for as part of our tuition to Ryerson. So again, it wasn't just an abandonment of. Uh, of our supporters that we felt we, we, we were left behind by. We were really uh, left behind and abandoned by the Toronto police and Ryerson security. And no one was there to uphold the law. No one was there to actually push back against these, these really embarrassing scenes that have now played out on international uh, news, which make our university look look like a bit of a mess, uh, more than a bit of a mess, but they, they, they do not make our university look good. And, and that's really a shame.
0: No, I should say, I know I mentioned this at the beginning, you're saying in the statement here, give us the statue. That is a real offer. You're willing to take this from the university, right? And I just have to ask on top of that, where where would you put it? I'm guessing most dorms don't have room, although I could be wrong.
3: Yeah, well, so that, that tagline is uh, really, we've adopted it since the statue had come down because we're working on information that we've received from the university. I should say that um, I have spoken with People who work in the university, and they they respect the work that we have done, and they 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 understand that we are a stakeholder in this process, which we have to we have to uh, to thank them for. They have told us that the body of the statue is in the possession of the university. Of course, the head is no longer on the statue, um, and the pedestal that it stood on um, is, I imagine, as well in the in the uh, in the possession of the university. And that that line comes from the fact that as we, as you mentioned at the top of the interview. The university doesn't want it. They've said that they're not going to put it up. The police don't want to defend it. The Ontario government hasn't shown any interest in protecting that statue or the history that it stands for. Uh, and as the only group that has publicly put up a defense of the statue, we believe that we should uh, we, sh- we should be the ones in possession of the body of the statue. Now, where we would put it, um, we're not quite sure as to where, where it would go. I will say that Egerton Ryerson, uh, grew up in uh, near the town of Simcoe in southern Ontario, and we have, as a group, always felt that if the statue were to be moved, the statue should go and go down to Simcoe, Ontario, uh, where it can be properly celebrated and properly venerated, uh, and Egerton Ryerson, where where really that he is uh, well respected in that in that area. We think the statue should go there, but of course, now that process is not going to work because it is headless and it is without a pedestal. So really what we're advocating for is to give the statue back to people that respect it. Maybe it might not be us, but in in that statement, give us the statue. We're really talking about people who believe in the facts, believe in the real history of this country, not the narratives that are being spread. And we believe the statue should belong to, to those people.
0: Ryerson Conservatives President Harrison Faulkner, good to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on and great work on this.
3: Thank you very much, Andrew.
0: I was, when I was in university, heavily involved in campus politics, so I have a great deal of appreciation. To be a conservative on a university campus, certainly a downtown Toronto university campus in 2021, is no doubt an act of courage and an act of rebellion, so uh, good on Harrison Faulkner and his crew for, again, standing up against the malignment of a historic figure, and as we've just heard, whose only real sin was living in an era prior to the current one. So my Thanks again to Harrison for coming on and talking about that. We've got to wrap things up for today. My thanks to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.